0: So, we are going to do the Father Mike and Tom show again this morning. Please help me welcome back Father Mike and Tom Corcron. Good morning. This morning, we're going to be talking about rebuilding your message. It's one of the most important aspects of rebuilding but as a word of introduction allow me to say that I'm not just talking about preaching for preachers, because obviously many of you do not preach in the liturgy if you're not ordained clergy. Neither is this simply about teaching for teachers, because not all of you are teachers either. This is not really about marketing for marketers, because none of us really qualify on that score. But it is about communication for communicators. And all of us, in whatever capacity we hold in our parish life, we're all communicators who sometimes, in a certain sense, preach, teach, and market. We're in the communication business of the most important communication, the most important message ever, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a communication of that life-changing message that lies at the heart of our whole church, the heart of our whole church, which is our local parish congregation. No, Tom and I are just two guys who have been involved in a lot of aspects of parish life and leadership over the past number of years. And in the process, we've come to understand that all of it is fundamentally about sharing the Word of God. At the same time, we've grown aware of how difficult it is to get any message across in our noisy, crowded culture. We've also developed some understanding about how increasingly difficult and, at times, hostile that culture can be to what it is we have to say. We know we have experienced that when we get communication wrong in the life of the parish, a lot else subsequently goes wrong, too. And we know that when we get it right, church health and growth follows. Communication, it all comes down to words. And they're just words. That's all they are. And sometimes it can feel as if communicating as a homilist during mass, a youth minister at a youth rally, a religious educator or faith formation director during a parents meeting, even a blogger blogging, it can feel sometimes like a waste of time. If you have to make a presentation before your congregation, your club, your class, it's hard to capture people's attention and harder still to keep it. Sometimes we communicators can feel jealous of chefs and carpenters and medics and mechanics who at the end of the day have created something they can see and enjoy. After all, we just have words. And like tiny bubbles, perhaps they shine in the light before disappearing into thin air, all too often seeming to have no effect whatsoever. Yet communication is fundamental to the human experience. It begins at birth. We struggle with it at first and eventually we get better, sometimes quite good, but never as good as we want to be and often not as good as we could be. The message matters whether it's an infant's cry for food, a teacher's instruction to her students, or the deathbed wishes of a dying man. Even when it seems as if the message doesn't matter, when people are being silly or selfish or even hateful, they're trying to communicate something, perhaps something profoundly important to them. Scripture says it, Beth, death death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 1821. There is a kind of death that comes from negative or critical words. Uh, last summer, a while back, we were undertaking an expansion of our our parking capacity, our parking lot to accommodate further growth. And we carefully pursued all of the requisite approvals and permits with the county and with the diocese. We hosted neighborhood meetings. And then, just as the project got underway, one of our neighbors made a very emotional appeal to as wide an audience as she could reach, including some very influential leaders in our community. She was upset because the view of our property from her family room would be slightly altered. But small as it was, the proposed project led her to communicate in a way that only served to confuse a lot of people, leading to further miscommunication in the form of gossip. It felt very unfair to us, and it all happened just because of words. Words can damage and destroy. They can hurt, and they can kill. On the other hand, words can bring life and growth. We've been very encouraged by the positive response, for instance, to to our our books, Rebuilt and Tools for Rebuilding, and now Rebuilding Your Message. Frankly, um, as, as we put these books together, we were dreading what critics might say. Since we have taken strong stances on on a number of topics. And while there certainly has been pushback, the vast majority of comments that we've received have been helpful and encouraging to us. We've all had experiences where words have influenced an outcome, inspired a crowd, or even won an election. Each of us has made different choices set out on new routes, rethought our opinions, or perhaps even reinvented ourselves because of someone else's words. As Tom was mentioning yesterday, when it comes to money and giving, both of us have experienced changes of heart and subsequently giving patterns because of the preaching of of pastors we admire, like Rick Warren, who helped us understand what the Bible teaches about money. After hearing God's word on the subject consistently preached by some effective preachers and teachers, we began tithing and taking seriously the stewardship of our own finances. In turn, that message and those words have rebuilt the finances of our parish and our parish ministry. There are times when we want to give up, but then someone's words compel us to go on. We easily remember a remarkable evening attending an evangelical church conference in Atlanta. We had traveled there amidst some difficult circumstances back at our parish. Difficult as in incredibly difficult. We had almost canceled the trip, planned long before, but went anyway, anyway almost as an escape from our troubles. And as the conference started, an announcement was made that the proposed keynote speaker would not be speaking, and a substitute would be talking on a completely different topic. We'll never forget the me- message we heard that night from Dr. Charles Stanley, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Atlanta. To our astonishment, he described a situation amazingly like the one we found ourselves in. And step by step, he walked us through what he did in that circumstance. He recounted his own struggles, how he persevered and stayed true to his calling in an instant, we knew what we had to do. It was such a God moment for us. It changed our course. It changed our direction. It changed our lives. And all of this because of words. The message matters. It can change hearts. It can change worlds. It's Winston Churchill in the dark days of World War II insisting to the people of Britain, we will never give up. It's Mahatma Gandhi teaching colonial India, you must be the change you seek in the world. It's St. John Paul announcing in communist Poland, do not be afraid. Just words that changed everything. Communication is about words, but it's also about more than words. Our words are shaped by the context in which they're presented, the environments we create, and the actions we take. They all form our communication as well. And if we fail to pay attention to the settings in which people hear our words, our message could very well fall on deaf ears. To communicate well, to successfully deliver our messages, our words must work together with our environment. Unfortunately, in our Catholic culture, communication has sometimes been neglected. At least that's our impression. Somewhere along the way, a lot of church people bought the lie that good preaching and teaching are really not worth our energy and effort. That no one expects them or needs them anyway. And as a result, we've all seen lay leaders and ordained clergy alike who've never really developed their ability to grow as speakers. And we're not criticizing anyone. Because time and again, we've been guilty of charged on this count. Hard to believe, but But honestly, for longer than we care to share, we just didn't consider our parish communication all that important. Yet reason, revelation, and our own experience tell us otherwise. Words have power, and we know from Scripture that God's Word has ultimate power. When spoken, His Word does not return to Him void. That's true... For us too. When we use God's Word and do it with skill and conviction and certainly bathed in prayer in a way that honors and serves the Word, it will not return to us empty or without effect. The communication that is the fundamental work of our programs in parishes and schools and services can introduce us to God's will, God's plan, and God himself. It can inspire and equip us to conform our lives to Christ. In other words, our preaching and teaching are the primary ways in which the church reaches the lost and grows disciples.
1: So we say when it comes to rebuilding your message, there are five key steps to take. That microphone's a lot louder than Michael's. So, uh, so five steps. So, here we're going to go over them the rest of our time here. Um, so, we're going to say plan. Struggling with the... There we go. Uh, number one, plan. So, we've got to plan your message. Number two, prepare. Prepare your message. Prepare what you're going to say. And we're going to go over all these in f- further. Practice. You've got to practice what you're going to say. Practice your communication. And then... Uh, Perform, eventually we are performing our our communication, we're speaking it out loud. And then finally, evaluate. I couldn't think of a fifth P there, so just say plan, prepare, practice, perform, evaluate. And if anyone can else think of a fifth P that would be for synonym of evaluate, I'm open to hearing what that is. So so number one, we talk about planning your communication. Uh, So the first part of that in planning your communication is something we talked about yesterday. What do you want we want people to do? Right? Uh, questions, what do we want them to know? What do we want them to do? Are questions we ask all the time about every single communication we send out. And then, okay, what do we want to do? At the end of the day, when we're communicating something, it's because we want people to take some kind of action that helps them grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so, we need to filter all of our, our communication and planning our communication through this question. It can so easily get lost sight of. It. I don't know how many times we have spoken or had a, a weekend homily, and we're like, what did we want them to do with that? What was the action step we wanted them to take? So what do you want people to do? And we talked yesterday about those steps as a church that we encourage people to take. Um, serving, tithing and giving, engaging in a small group, practicing prayer and sacraments, sharing our faith. That it's so important for you as a church to decide what you want people to do. Because then when you're planning your communication, it'll become much easier. So these two things work hand in hand. What is as a church do you want the people in your community to do? And then I'll make it easy for you to plan your communication. Second thing we say in planning your communication is that series are simpler. So let me explain what we mean by this. As a church, what we do for our, our weekend homilies is we do a thing called series. So we take a topic and over a series of weeks, we delve into that topic. So right now, for this Lenten series, we've been doing a a series called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And so for the first week, we talked about some basic principles about God not making sense, that it makes sense that God doesn't make sense, that we can't confuse life not making sense with God not making sense, and that we need to use God not making sense as an opportunity to grow. Uh, And so that was the first week. And then we talked about different ways God doesn't make sense. What doesn't make sense when people we love or good people die? Um young people die with a lot of potential. Why does God do that? We talked about why does God sometimes uh, say no to us? We talked about why does God allow to be, there to be unjust leaders? And then last week we said why does God's timing sometimes not work with our timing? And, and so over the series of weeks, we just talked about things in life that God sometimes don't make sense to us. And over the, that, doing a series allows us to go deeper into a topic. It also makes planning our communication easier. Now this is something that we learn from studying, other ch- from studying other churches and it really is just the best practice um, that we would encourage you to think about doing. Um, and if you're interested, we have an a, a, association called the Rebuilt Parish Association where we list all our, our series that we have done. It gives you ideas and even gives you some of our content. So series are simple, or simpler. It's easy to plan if you think in a way of series. Now when it comes to our series, we say this, that the timing is everything. So we, we have a template for us of how the seasons go and how we plan our series. So to kind of take you through a calendar year, um, well, first of all, we have three kind of major seasons we look at. We have the fall season, which runs from Labor Day, uh, the weekend after Labor Day to Christmas. Then we have our kind of winter-spring season, which runs the, the weekend after New Year's to um, Father's Day. And then Father's Day to Labor Day is our summer. So we think in these three major chunks. All right, so in the, be- in the fall, we'll do a series, after Labor Day, we'll do a series that's a, a kickoff series, something fresh and new. We know people are coming back to church for the first time in a while, or people have been away for the summer, and so we do something that's kind of a, a fresh new look at life, so to speak. Uh, then in October, November, it's usually a stewardship kind of time. Uh, it culminates in our Stewardship Sunday, right the weekend before Thanksgiving, So we plan a series in there It's going to kind of challenge people on stewardship or challenge people about how to look at how they use their resources. And then, of course, then there's Advent. And that's all about getting ready for Christmas and preparing people's hearts for Christmas, maybe inviting people, encouraging people to invite people to come on Christmas Eve because that's an awesome time to share their faith and encourage encourage friends and family members who don't have a church to join us. Then in the uh, spring, spring winter semester, we have a New Year's, kickoff and again new year people are looking at fresh stuff they want fresh beginnings they want fresh starts Um, so we'll do a series along those lines in february it's valentine's day often we do like a relationship kind of series Uh, and then depending on if lent usually comes after that and obviously there's a lenten series that's kind of a deeper discipleship series kind of like we talked about when god doesn't make sense and then we have an easter series and then it's usually the summer again so we just repeat that pattern over and over again um, again, I know I went kind of fast through that. If you check out our Rebuild our Parish Association, you kind of see how we plan. But I would say this is begin to look at your communication as a church through those different seasons and through the different timing. Again, the, the easiest chunk is your fall season, you have your spring and winter semester, and then you have the summer. Um, so planning allows you, is so important too because it allows everyone on your church to get on the same page. One of the things we would really advocate for when it comes to your communication is this. This is another best practice. One church, one message. One church, one message. And you can only do that if you plan your communication. You know, Think about it. Every single Sunday, we have people coming from all these different places, right? All, all different places, they've all been in different, different, different experiences of life. The point of the message and the homily and our communication is to unify our church to bring everybody on the same page. And so if you have one church the same one one message, you can have one church. But when we have different messages, it's very difficult to get everybody on the same page and have a unified church. So you need to plan your communication. Number 2, prepare. Prepare. We say this that preparation shines through. Preparation shines through. You know when somebody's getting up there and winging it, don't you? You've heard a, a communicator, a, 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 a priest, a deacon speak, and you know they're just making this up as they go along. There's no art to this. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't going anywhere. Um, so when it comes to preparation, how much should you prepare? Well, that depends on the importance of the communication and how long it's going to be. I, I remember a little while back I, we were doing a, it's part of our vision campaign that's going, going on right now to raise money. I had to speak for about five minutes to some ma- our major contributors. But five minutes isn't a long time to talk. But this was a really important presentation. So I remember taking a couple of hours just working on it for that five minutes because it was so important. You know, sometimes you have a preparation that's, sometimes you have a presentation that's, you know, not as important and you don't have to give as much preparation to it. When it comes to pastors and priests and deacons, when it comes to preaching for your homily, how much time should you spend in a week preparing? You know, Rick Warren says he spends 16 hours a week preparing. Father Michael says usually about 10 hours a week. Um, You know, again, it depends upon where you are right now. But the point is, just carve out as much time and look to see how you can carve out more time to prepare for your your weekend homily. Um, So preparation shines through. Another way to prepare is this. First, you have to live it. That we prepare this, we prepare our presentations, we prepare our communication by actually living it out. We talked yesterday when it comes to asking people to to take steps, we have to move ourselves. Um, So how do we live it out? First of all, again, speak from your experience in some way. If you're going to speak on prayer, talk about your experience in prayer. If you're talking about giving, talk about your experience with giving. Live it out in some way. Um, And then, Challenge people from your experience, and it's okay if we're just a little bit ahead of people on this. Uh, I remember uh, a few years back, uh, Saddleback Church they did a series called "Simplify Your Life: How to Simplify Your Life, Make Your Life Easier." And the youth pastor, Doug Fields, talked about this, and he was he said, "You know what?" He said to the congregation, "I got to tell you, I'm just a little bit ahead of you guys. I live a very complex life, and so." For preparing for this series, I've been trying to simplify my life and do little things to make myself, to make it simpler. But I just got to tell you, I'm not further, much further ahead than you are, ahead of you on this. And as soon as he said that, it immediately made me more interested because it gave him authority. I'm like, all right, he's trying to live this out and he's tried it before I have. And also, he's recognizing, hey, this is not easy. This, it's very difficult to simplify our lives and it, it made me lean in and listen more to him. So it's okay if we're just a little bit ahead on people. We don't have to be the expert on something in order to present to people. We just have to be a little further ahead. Also, you know, we can speak out of our weaknesses. I think, th- I think sometimes we're afraid to present on things that have been failures or weaknesses in our life because we know we failed on them and we know we're not really good at it. You know, it's been said, if you speak from your weaknesses, you will never run out of things to say. Right? So, don't be afraid of speaking from your weaknesses. And you can be honest. This is the struggles. In fact, many times the things we so badly want to communicate to other people and see other people get right is the things we've failed to do right. I'm passionate about telling people about God's Word, what God's Word says about money, because I, I, admit, I didn't know it, and my life would have been so much better if I'd known that. I would have made so many fewer mistakes. So, first, live it. Prepare for the message by living it. Then we say this, let your message marinate. You have to prepare by letting your message marinate. You know, I like to grill and uh, my Weber, the Weber's Grill Book, it's like the, my Bible for grilling. And what I love about the, what I love about the Grill Book though is so many of the things are so simple, like the power of a marinade. If you marinate a piece of meat, marinate a piece of fish, it takes very little effort, right? Beginning of the day, you make the marinade, you put, put a steak in there, throw it in a, a Ziploc bag, put it in the fridge, come back, you grill it, and the flavor tastes awesome, right? And so many times people think, man, you're a great cook, you're a great chef. I'm like, not really. It's just the power of the marinade. But when it comes to our messages and communication, we have to let the message marinate it. Let it just kind of turn it over in our head and and be thinking about it. So what is that? How do we do that? Well, again, on the short-term basis, it's preparing earlier in the week, right? If you know you have a, for pastors and Priests and deacons, if you know you're preaching, don't wait till you know, Friday night or Saturday morning to prepare that message. You're, you're just short circuiting that ability for the mo- message to soak in your head, in your mind. Start earlier in the week, and then you can be thinking about it and it can be turning over in your head. Uh, letting the message marinate also means, again, planning our communication. If we know that we're going to be speaking on something a few months out, or we're going to be communicating something as a parish a few months out, We can be on the lookout for articles. We can be on the lookout for life experiences that might speak to that topic. So this is why planning, again, is so important. It allows you to reflect on the message long term. So um, don't procrastinate. Don't procrastinate with your message. Let it soak in and think about it and let it marinate. Another way to prepare your message, and this is my favorite one of these, is to find your burden. Find your burden. Um, father Michael talked about this message we heard from Dr. Charles Stanley. Um, the, I heard this expression from actually from his son, Andy Stanley, from North Point. And Andy said that sometimes he'd be sitting with his father, Charles, and they'd be listening to a preacher speak, and his father would, would lean over and say, this guy doesn't have a burden. What did he mean by that? Well, the burden is the thing you have to get off your chest. It's the thing you... You, you just want to make sure that people walk away crystal clear knowing. So how do, and until you find your burden, you are not ready to speak. You're not ready to present. So how do you find your burden? Well, a couple different ways. For me, first of all, it comes through scripture. You know, that if there's a piece of scripture that I'm, I'm going to be talking about and presenting to people, I want to keep reading that scripture until I find that verse that's like, just burns in my heart. Where, or, where there's like an aha moment and things pop out. I'm like, oh my gosh, that is a, that is a treasure. That's a pearl. I want people to know that. Um, one example of this was a few years ago. I was ta- we were talking about the prophet Elijah. And I was reading, you know, the story about Elijah where... And, and I presented the story of Elijah in the sense of uh, how do you know when it's time to quit? How do you know when it's time to give up? And so reading in the story of Elijah, you know, remember Elijah... At one point, Queen Jezebel's trying to kill him. This is right after he's had this huge, huge uh, victory by defeating the prophets of Baal. Um, But then Jezebel threatens to kill him. He runs away, and he he keeps running, he keeps running. And there, eventually, he hears from God. That's where we we hear that that he gets away and that God is not in the earthquake and God is not in, in in the storms and all that, but God is in a still, small voice. And then when Elijah is sitting there and he hears the still, small voice to God, God says to him, go back. Go back. And that, that, just, that verse just struck me. And so I, I, just, I talk to people about how, when do you know it's time to quit when God tells you it's time to quit. But in other words, maybe God is telling you today to go back and keep on fighting. So find that scripture that, that just is the burden you want people to share. Another way to find your burden is to consider the real life consequences. Consider the real life consequences. Consider somebody you, you know and love sitting out there in the congregation or sitting in the pews or sitting, or the people you're communicating to and say, consider the life consequences if they don't listen to that message, if they don't get it. If I don't get cro- across what, what God says about money, people are going to blow tons of money and get deeper in debt and be s- struggling with it. But if I don't talk about marriage, there's marriages that might fail if I don't get this point across to them that if I don't communicate the gospel well there is some students in my, in the, sitting there that might leave the church and never come back because they don't understand what the gospel's about. And I don't want to live, I don't want them to live their lives or live a season of life not knowing that God loves them and sent his son to die for them. Consider the real life consequences and that will help you find your burden. And then finally we say this, prepare your context. As Father Michael said, Um, We have to prepare our context because the environment shapes the communication. So, make sure, you know, for us that means that in our church, that our lobby's clean. Um, When we're we're talking to kids, we want a a, a good environment for kids. so, So, prepare the
0: context. Next, we say, practice more than you play. Practice more than you play. Anytime you see someone take something exceptional and make it appear easy, something significant, seems simple, whether it's athletics, acting, cooking, or crafts, anything really, you can be sure that they've put many more hours into preparing to do what they're doing than in actually doing it. It looks easy because it has become natural to them as they have developed their abilities. Communication, is the same way. It's a craft and it takes practice. Not just preparation, as important as that is, it's more than prep- preparation. It's about doing it over and over again. To become an effective communicator, you have to work <coughs> on developing your talent. Perhaps one of the weaknesses in our Catholic culture, at least in our part of the world, is not a lack of talent, but a lack of developed talent. Many intentionally growing churches, lots of of large evangelical churches, enjoy the reputation of great preaching and teaching, not because they have more talent than we do, but because they place more of an emphasis on developing the talent they have. We need to learn from the great speakers and communicators of our generation, people like St. John Paul, Pastor Andley Stanley that Tom mentioned, and our friend, author Patrick Lencioni, whose books, by the way, are available from uh, uh, our Catholic bookstore vendor. When you hear Patrick speak, his humor and wisdom seem off the cuff. Pastor Annley Stanley sounds casual and conversational. St. John Paul obviously spoke from his heart. But what looks easy and effortless is the product of talent carefully honed over discipline, work time, and eventually a lifetime. A lifestyle based in a willingness to practice. In his great book, Outliers, author Malcolm Gladwell studied different disciplines and their respective experts. Everybody from Bill Gates to the Beatles. And Gladwell found that on average it took even the most amazingly talented people about 10,000 hours of practice to become an expert in their field. To practice more than you play, you've got to find time. You've got to carve out time in your schedule to practice. Now, you probably don't have an extra 10,000 hours to spare, but you probably have extra time somewhere if you're honest. And it's important to find not only the time, but the right time when you're disposed, when you're at your best to give it your best, practice free from distractions, find the the discipline, get things off your schedule that keep you from practicing your communication. In our experience, this is a constant challenge and a daily struggle. The world, the flesh, and the devil will all conspire against us. In most parishes, there's always more to do. and So many things are presented to us as urgent. And sadly, the first thing to be sacrificed is going to be our preparation for communication. I know this myself. Week in and week out, I'm thinking about the homily for Sunday, but I'm not getting to it because there's so many more urgent things coming my way. You've got to carve out the time and defend it. You practice more than you play, because presentation trumps content. Presentation trumps content. How you present something is often more important than what it is you have to say. A friend of ours shared a story about seeing a woman who was stopped at a traffic light, and her car was on fire. There were flames shooting up from under her hood, but apparently she didn't notice it. A driver in the next lane over did notice it and tried to provide a warning. He jumped out of his car, and he ran toward her car, waving his hands wildly. The woman, probably thinking he was crazy, quickly locked her car doors, and sped off through the the traffic stop. The man had some very pertinent communication to share with this woman, but his presentation made it impossible for her to receive that communication. Presentation matters. It matters in cooking. It matters in movies and plays. It matters in teaching and preaching, too. Presentation, not content, determines interest. Why? Why is that? Well, I don't know. But the reason may be that God cares about it. Look, look at the beauty of the stars in the sky or the colors of the trees or the artistry of a single snowflake. God created the world in this beautiful, wondrous way. And any kind of excellence in presentation becomes a reflection of that. And as a consequence, is relevant, is attractional, is attractive to us. In your presentations, think of the people and personalities you can bring to life, the flavor that you can add with stories and illustrations and detail and humor practice. Practice by speaking your message into life. Is this still me? Yep. (laughs) Practice by speaking life into your message. Speaking out loud begins to give rhythm and flow to your message that a written piece won't necessarily have, however well written it is. It's here that you will begin to form transitions that your written word doesn't need. Speaking it into life helps you learn when to take a breath or where to pause. Speaking it into life uncovers your passion and heart for the message. It also helps you find the inner logic of your presentation. Sometimes I can work on a homily all week, and then on Saturday afternoon, when I presented for the first time, I walk away saying, oh, now I understand what I was trying to say. That understanding comes because I spoke it out loud. And if, and if I'm being a more effective communicator, I'll do that before I get in front of the congregation. In his vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel receives a message of hope for Israel. He received the the message, but nothing happens. Nothing happens until he speaks the message. He speaks the message into life, literally. And with it, the bones themselves come to life, symbolizing Israel's resurrection and renewal. We have to speak our message out loud before we get in front of an audience.
1: So plan, prepare, practice, and then we'd say perform. But eventually, we had to perform. And so some things we want to make sure are part of that. Number one, we, want to, we say this, make them laugh, make them cry. And what we mean by that is that any strong message is going to have some emotion behind it, or it's going to tap into people's emotions. Um, people move when something is felt inside. Um, that book, Switch, I, I talked about earlier. They say this, they say, direct the rider, which is the mind, but motivate the elephant, which is our emotions, our, our desire to move. So, we need to do that by tapping into people's emotions. By, and we say, make them laugh, because when you make people laugh, they relax. And when they relax, they listen, and they are with you. Humor has an ability to just connect people together. And if you and I are connected, then you're more likely to listen to me. If your audience is, more, is connected to you and feels relaxed with you, they're more likely to listen and then we say make them cry and by this we want to be you know tapping into people's i would say you know we say the better angels right that when people are kind of moved emotionally don't, to, to tears right there's there's tears of repentance tears of of just this is important to me right when people cry about things it's like oftentimes it's like i need to repent i need to change or yes this matters to me and i'm overwhelmed by that sense of how important this is and so again ways to make people cry is to look at the gap between where they are and what they, where they want to be. Help them see that, yeah, this is really who I want to be and I need to move in that direction. You know, call, as I said, call upon their better angels by calling upon the high ideals that we all share as human beings but sometimes we forget. Um, again, we, we tap into people's emotions when we tap on, you know, when we talk about love of family, a love of country, a love of God, a love for our children in the next generation. That, again, those are all just... I- ideals we all share. Uh, next we say this, that in your performance make sure you tell stories. Stories stick. Stories stick. People remember stories. This is hard for me because I'm, I'm kind of a philosophical type of person. I like to make arguments and, I, and I'm not really great at telling stories. I have to work on it. But stories stick. Um, and research shows that re- stories don't just hold our attention. You know, even just a few moments ago when when Father Michael kind of went that story about the car on fire, you could just tell everyone in here was suddenly sucked in and paying attention. But stories don't just hold our attention, they engage our mind, all right, they engage us. Uh, Research shows we're not passive when we hear a story, but we are actively putting ourselves into the story and thinking about, well, how would I react in that situation? You know, we're learning and growing as the story is told. Um, and it's also connecting us with the speaker. So what kind of stories should you tell? Well, tell the stories of Scripture. Again, our our church is really ignorant of the Bible. You know, most Catholics don't know the Bible really well. And so, so many times for for when the, the gospel readings come up, or even, or the, especially the Old Testament readings, people don't even know the context. They don't know what's going on in history. They don't know what's going on in the nation of Israel. They don't, when did this happen? You know, um, you know, I was hearing a, a sermon right now, someone's doing a series on David, and the, the, this figure's just like, all right, this is 1,000 BC. Okay, now I kind of understand where that is. And um, we heard one story, again, because people are so ignorant, we heard one story of a preacher talking about being in a small group with someone, and they were studying the story of David and Goliath, right? One of, I mean, one of the most famous Bible stories there is. And this guy afterward came up, came up to, this, to this, this, this preacher and said, you know what, I got, I got to tell you, And and this was a well-educated guy. I got to tell you, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I thought like David and Goliath was just like this kind of myth or this story that, you know, uh, that people talk about, but I didn't realize it was actually in the Bible. And this person was a Catholic, didn't know that that was in the Bible. So, again, people are so ignorant of the Bible and and the story, when, when there are readings, give people the context. Tell the story, what's going on in Scripture. Look for stories from your own life. You know, I try to just write down stories when they happen and try to, try to remember what's going on with them, uh, what was going on and, and capture it right afterwards because if I wait too long, I'll forget about it. But I, whenever a story happens, if, if a story happens to Father Michael, I'll say, all right, let's, talk, let's, write, let's write it down and, so we can use that for some future time. Um, find stories by living an interesting life. It's said that interesting speakers have an interesting life, you know, if, if your life's too boring. Lighten it up, liven it up, right? You know, go jump out of an airplane. Um, you know, go, you, go have children. That'll liven it up, you know. Um, lots of stories just from having children. Seven kids, you'll have lots of stories. Um, so tell stories from your life. And then tell stories, tell other people's stories. I talked about, yeah, again, yesterday. If you get, you know, and this is what has been going on, the testimonies have been showing here. If you get a letter, an email, a note, anything about how the church has affected, affected people, share that story when you're trying to get people on board. Or, again, you're just, by telling stories, we're just showing people, Here, here's a pattern we want for your life as well. So tell other people's stories. Uh, another thing when it comes to performing is create tension through silence. No, when when we we pause, people naturally lean in. What they gonna say? Um, one of the things I learned I, I read in a book one time at the beginning of the message, it says, before you step up and talk to people, just stop and don't say anything. And just wait for a second. Just give that a moment pause because first of all it calms you down. You know, as a speaker, if you're talking to people, you're nervous. You can take a breath. But then, again, the, the, the pause, the, they called it the power pause, makes people lean in. Or when there's an, a huge point that you want to make, and again, this is where you, the burden, before, when you find that burden, this is the verse I want everybody to know. You know, I, when I talked about the, the story of Elijah, I said, and here's what God said to Elijah. Go back. Because, again, as soon as people say, okay, what did God say to Elijah? I want to know what he said. I want to know if I should quit. I want to know if I'm ready to give up. What did God say to Elijah? Give that a moment to pause and create the tension so they want to hear it. Um, So look for opportunities to pause. And then finally, we say, so plan, prepare, practice, perform, and then evaluate. Evaluate. We need to evaluate. So we say this, how do you evaluate? Number one, we say, "It, it hurts to hear your own voice. That if you are a speaker and a presenter, the best way to evaluate yourself is to watch yourself. And it is incredibly painful. It will hurt. You'll prefer dental surgery without Novocaine. It's painful. But it's the best way to get better as a speaker is to watch yourself. So record and watch yourself. Have somebody else watch it. You know, it's incredibly easy now with iPhones. Just have someone record for you. Ask someone to, to do that for you. Um, another way to evaluate is that we say this, is to be dynamic, you have to be specific. So evaluate your speaking. Am I being specific? Again, going back to, is it very clear what I want them to do? And Again, we think we have done this, but so often we don't. Or we get very vague. So don't, don't say, hey, you should pray this week. No, say, hey, pray five minutes a day this week. When you get up in the morning, just fall, you know, get on your knees or... Or, and, and pray. Or on your way to work, instead of turning on the radio, pray to God. Offer God your day. You know, be very specific. You know, when it comes to, you know, serving. This past weekend, um, Father Michael said this. We want you to serve three hours a month. That's what we want you to do. Go to the, I, we, we talked about the importance of serving. All right, what do we want to do? Go to the tent and serve three hours a month. It's incredibly specific. Sorry. Um, You know, don't talk about sin. All right, stop sinning. Talk about dishing dirt or or, or gossiping to your neighbor. Uh, Again, don't say read the Bible. Okay, the Bible's a big book. (laughs) How about read the Gospel of Mark? Read the Gospel of John? So be specific. And then we say this in evaluating, we want to do this. We want to comfort outsiders and challenge insiders. That's, again, talked about yesterday, you know, Jesus, when he came to the outsiders, he was about 90% comfort and 10% challenge, right? To the woman caught in adultery, there's a lot of comfort. And then in the end, after he, he saved her life and says, I don't condemn you, then he gives a little bit of challenge, go and sin no more. But to the Pharisees and religious leaders, he was full of challenge, wasn't he? I mean, and he had some harsh, harsh words for them. So we wanna make sure our communication reflects the communication of Jesus. That over and over again, we are challenging the insiders and saying, you need to grow. Let me give you a way you can grow. But when it comes to outsiders, we're comforting them and welcoming them
0: in. Again, we're talking about all our parish communication. It's very easy from our Catholic liturgical perspective to think that communication is the responsibility of the priest in the pulpit, and that's it. It is his responsibility in part, but it's all our responsibilities together. Consider all of your communication. Go home and evaluate it. How are you communicating? What does your website look like? What does your bulletin look like? What is the bulletin board in your lobby communicating? What's your sign out front saying to the community? All these are forms of communication that you have input on and that you can have a positive impact on. Scripture tells us grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. In our mission to make disciples of Christ in the age of the new evangelization, we begin with the understanding that the people we're communicating to are steeped in distaste for, or even hostility toward, organized religion. Skepticism of scripture, and a more or less outright rejection of the supernatural. And yet, study after study in this country tells us the vast majority of people believe in God. That's because we live in a culture that is essentially deistic. Deism has been around a long time, since the Enlightenment, but has gained a lot of ground in our own time. It's basically the belief that creation and reason prove the existence of God, but that's it. That's all that's proved. Everything else is cast in doubt and up for debate. There's no revelation. God has told us nothing about himself He's created the world and set it to unfold according to natural law. We're pretty much on our own. Many cultural and cradle Catholics could sum up their real beliefs in just this way. There are even people in our pews every single Sunday who more or less are basically deists. We have to begin and end our communication there with God. Our communication should start with that fragile faith in a distant attached God and then begin to fill in the details. It's our job to let them know about a father who planned for them from forever, formed them in their mother's womb and gave them life and breath. We can introduce them to a son who caused them to follow him and become like him, serving in the movement of his kingdom in our generation. Our communication must help people appreciate the mystery of the Spirit, who walks with us daily and guides our steps when we cooperate in greater stewardship and service. Through our message, others can come to know a Spirit who changes lives, helps shape choices, and brings blessings, both now and in eternity. The message we share is all about the grace of what God does for us and the truth of what he calls us to do. To successfully rebuild your message, you've got to be uncompromisingly clear about what that message is at its core. It is a message of grace and truth. These two together, always together. And if all your preaching and teaching and parish communication were reduced to a single sermon, a final instruction, one last class, it wouldn't be about preaching and teaching anyway. It would be about witness. It is witness to grace and truth. Our communication is all about witness to grace and truth. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, so a couple of things, number one, uh, a, lot, a lot of information, a lot of stuff can be kind of overwhelming. One of the resources we are, have built is a thing called the Rebuilt Parish Association, um, where again we give you the plans and what we have done in past years and it match, matches up with the lectionary. One of the things we struggled with is we learned from other churches that message series really worked, but we didn't know how to do that in a liturgical context. Because a lot of it was evangelical churches where they didn't have a lectionary. And so, um, over the last few years, we've learned how to, to take the idea of a message series and put it and match it with the lectionary. So, um, Ed Bradley, who represents our Rebo Parish Association, is here. Happy, to, He'll be happy to talk to you. He's right next to the Mustard Seed uh, booksellers. Uh, and You can check it out there. Do you want us to talk a little bit about the money at this point, Mary Ellen? Or do you want to do questions? Okay. All right. Why don't we, because you guys talked about want us to say a little bit about stewardship and money. I know that was a theme that Father Mark talked about, so why don't we, we'll we'll go right there. So we're just going to pause, stop, take a breath. All right, now change your mind. Change your mindset. Um, We're just going to talk a little bit about um, finances and the church. And just a a couple introductory thoughts. First of all, money matters. It takes money to, to run the parish. It takes money to turn on the lights pay staff, to heat the building, you know, cool the building, right? We like to say this, Christ is king, but cash is crucial, right? Some people say cash is king. Cash isn't king. Christ is king, but cash is crucial. Um, you know, it just takes money to do ministry. How much, you know, how much ministry can you do with $1,000? $1, $1,000 worth of ministry. How much ministry can you do with $100,000? $100, $100,000 worth of of ministry. It takes money to do ministry. I like what John Maxwell says. He says this, you know, he, he quotes scripture first of all. He says, you know, scripture says, where there is no vision, the people perish. You've heard that before, right? Where there is no vision, the people perish. And John Maxwell says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but where there is no money, the vision perishes. That we need money to do ministry. And for us, this all goes back to with money, to starting with why. Why does the church exist? That the best way for us to fund our churches is to go back to what Jesus said, the church exists to go and make disciples. And so when it comes to raising money in our churches and, and funding the church, we want to connect it back to discipleship. We want to connect it back to why we exist. We want to connect put discipleship and the church together. Um, and Discipleship and Finances together. Uh, a guy named Simon Sinek, has anyone ever heard of Simon Sinek? Do TED Talks, one person, okay. Um, Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why. And it's a, a popular TED Talk, I'd encourage you to check it out. Um, and in, in it, he talks about that the successful companies it, right now, many successful companies have a very clear mission. And as a result of their clear mission, they've done very well financially. So let me give you two examples he uses. He looks at Southwest. The mission of Southwest is to democratize air travel, to make air travel accessible to everyone. And as a result, Southwest has done pretty well, right? It's the, it's the best airline, you know, in many different ways, but financially it is the most healthy, finan- uh, financial, financially healthy airline. Another example he uses is Apple, right? Apple wanted to make technology cool. That was their mission, and they've made technology cool, and they've made a lot of money, right? And so, he just says this, successful companies succeed financially when they have a clear sense of mission, and their mission permeates everything they do. And if that's true for businesses, shouldn't it be true for us as a church? Because for us, we have such a clear mission, go make disciples, right? And right? Unlike many of of these companies, we don't have huge stockholders, you know, breathing down our neck to say that every quarter we have to make a certain amount. No, we have time. We can play the long game. So, we'd like to say this, that we are not trying to raise funds. We are not raising funds. We are raising givers. We're not raising funds. We're raising givers. We're not trying to get fruit. We're not just trying to get money. But instead, we want to plant fruit-bearing trees, and if we plant fruit bearing trees eventually the funds will come and i can say again from our experience of playing a kind of longer game of of, of not going for fruit but of trying to plant fruit bearing trees by teaching people what god says about money we have seen it incredibly impact the finances of our church so uh, a couple things then how do we how do we plant fruit bearing trees well, one, we need to know what Jesus says about money. And here are just a few things that Jesus says about money, and I'll, I'll do them quickly in just a few minutes here. Number one, Jesus says that we are stewards, not owners of what we have. Wait, we're stewards, not owners. Think about the, the parable of the dishonest steward, right? People often get, people often get confused about what that parable's about because here's a guy who was cheating his master. But all Jesus wanted people to know through that was that we don't own what we have. There was a time before we had it, And then when we're gone we can't take it with us it won't be ours later we're owner we're stewards not owners jesus said over and over again to build treasure in heaven you know he uses this all the time we talked about the rich young man yesterday he says build treasure in heaven use your money now so it'll benefit you in heaven what does he mean by that i'm not entirely sure i understand completely but the, the clear thing is that if we give now or use our money as God tells us to give now, somehow we're building treasure in heaven. And of course, that's not a financial treasure. It's not more gold in heaven. But there's, there's treasure in heaven that we can get by how we use our money here on earth. Um, another thing that Jesus said about money was just to guard against greed. You know, One time a guy said, was, Jesus was preaching, a guy said, tell my, my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, be on guard against all forms of greed. And then he launches into the story of the rich fool who uses all his money for today instead of being rich towards God. So we have to guard against greed. And God wants to rip the greed out of our hearts. Um, A few years ago, I was vacationing in Ocean City, New Jersey. And I was going to mass on one Sunday. And um, I, I give to our church so I used to, when I would travel, not give at other churches. I'm like, I give the nativity, that's my place of worship, I'm not going to give somewhere else. And this, this church actually, it just really wasn't very good, they would play canned music, like literally for the music. They didn't have a music ministry, they would just press play and play like a recording. And it was a bad recorded music, it wasn't that. So I'm like, I'm not giving my money to this church. Well, this one time on vacation I'm there and I just hear God say, give me everything in your wallet. And I'm like, no giving you everything in my wallet? He's like, give me everything in your wallet. I'm like, and I could just feel God ripping the greed out of my heart. Because I'm like, no, this is my money. No, it's not your money. It's God's money. So finally, I open my wallet up and I take it out. And you know how much money was in my wallet? $14. (laughs) I I was fighting over God about $14, but I could feel God ripping, you know, it was about God just teaching me, don't be so clutching in it. And hanging on to it. It was amazing there were some ways in which God blessed me after that. So we have to guard against greed. Um, And then God tells us, Jesus tells us this, that giving builds trust in God. Right? Do not worry about what you're going to, you know, give, giving to God builds trust in him. Right? Jesus talks about money and then he says, you know, give it away, but do not worry about what you're going to eat. Your heavenly father will provide these things for you. And then number five, this is just an interesting one. Say this to your church sometime, pay your taxes, right? Remember, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God. We t- one time told our congregation, God wants you to be honest with your taxes. There was like a hush. It really was. It was like, wow. So anyway, tell your congregation to pay your taxes. Then Jesus says a whole bunch on giving. He says, give to God as an act of worship in your plate. Give to God as an act of worship. That... Uh, over and over again, Jesus is praising people who give as an act of worship. He's reaffirming the Old Testament law that said to, to tithe and to give. And so we say this, give a percentage away. Right, Jesus praises the widow who gives not just a percentage, I mean, she gives all of it. Right? But he praises her for giving in, the, in that act of worship. And, and it's, it's very interesting, Jesus praises the widow who gives as an act of worship and remember, she's giving to the temple. And think about that. Jesus knows the temple's going to be destroyed. He knows that not one stone is going to be upon another stone, and yet he praises the widow for giving as an act of worship. Uh, and then, obviously, Jesus talks about giving to the poor. You know, when you give, when you give alms. You know, he doesn't say, let me t- explain to you how to get, you know, the, what, about you should give alms. He just kind of assumes it, that people who follow him are going to give alms and give to the poor. So, I mean, that's like... Obviously, very quick thing on what Jesus talks about with money. So when it, when it comes to this, how do we, move, we get people to, to become disciples? We need to, one, you know, as we talked about yesterday, pray. Ask people, uh, you know, pray before people give. If you're having a major campaign or your Stewardship Sunday, pray for it. Uh, again, moving yourself. That as leaders, we need to give first. We would say this. Um, teach what God says about money. So again, very quick there about one of some of the things Jesus says, but we need to teach our people about what God says about money because they don't know it. And the first people we probably need to teach is ourselves if we're uninformed. Um, teach it as often and as it comes up in the lectionary. If you pay attention, you'll be amazed how much money comes up in the lectionary. It's amazing. other thing we say is this, get rid of fundraisers, competing systems, in the book, Tools for Rebuilding, we talk about pass the basket as seldom as possible. Because um, if you keep telling people to give to, to their place of worship as an act of worship and you connect it to discipleship, people will give. You will not have to trick them out of money. And so often what we're trying to do as a church is trick people out of money. Ask them to give, right? Uh, we would encourage you to have one weekend of the year where it is your stewardship weekend where you invite everybody to get on, involved in the stewardship of the church. And then other things that just simple, make it accessible. If you don't have electronic giving in your church, make sure it's available. So there's a lot more we could say about that, packing a lot in there in a few minutes. But I think we are at break, so.